Father, we just thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we just are so blessed to be loved by you. And Lord, as your word teaches us that as we're loved by you, we're to love others. That's a, that's a really uh, high standard, Lord. Uh, it's a standard that we're going to learn today that none of us can keep without your power. But, Lord, that standard is, is a measurement of, of where we're at in our relationship with you. Father, as you're going to show us today, if we don't love others, then, then your love might not be dwelling in us, Lord. We might very well not be saved. And so, Lord, this is a very important text. I, I think it's a, a, a check for all of us to, to look to see where we're at in our relationship with you. And, and Lord, uh, to, it's a great warning of the dangers of, of having a hard heart and treating others harshly, Lord, that, that uh, your word is very clear that, that that's something you just don't tolerate, especially in your children. So, Lord, it's a, it's a tough lesson here, but, but uh, we know that you can bless us and, and teach us and, and change us by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit. And so we just ask that you do that today, and we ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, if you've looked ahead at the text, James is going to be talking to us a little bit today about the royal law. What's the royal law? What does he mean by the royal law? Well, you can tell from the name royal, it means the law of the king. It's the law of the king for his children. And what is that law? It's the law of love. And it's much more than a law. And here's what we're going to be looking at today. It's a barometer that shows us whether or not we're living by the perfect law of liberty. I mean, if you're not living by the law, the royal law, then you're not living by the perfect law of liberty. And, and, and you're, you might not be a child of king. You might just be one of the commoners uh, of this world, one of the common sinners of this world. And so uh, it's very important that, that uh, we determine whether or not we're living by the royal law. And that's why I told you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look there with me in verse number 5. Listen to what Paul says. Listen to what he says in verse number 5 of chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. He says, examine yourselves. Every one of you, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. I mean, it's the same thing that Paul says when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You better be sure God is working in you, is what he says in that passage. But he says here, examine yourself as to whether or not you're in the face. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus is in you? I mean, are you sure Jesus is in you? Unless indeed you be disqualified. And man, being disqualified, I got to tell you, is a really bad thing because if you're disqualified, you're going to be facing God at the white throne judgment seat. That's a scary thought. So you want to be very sure that you're in, your, in the faith. And the best way to know that you're in the faith, whether or not you're in the faith, is whether or not you keep the royal law. Years ago when I was pastor in New Orleans, I went to visit on a Monday night and I visited a young black couple who had come to our church that Sunday and uh, I asked them how they liked the service and they said oh they really enjoyed the music and they really enjoyed the teaching and but they said we'll probably never come back to your church 
And I said, why? And they said, well, during the greeting time, this tall white man came up to us and he told us that our kind aren't welcome here. And I, I knew right away who the guy was because we had had trouble with this guy before. And they said, you know, it's kind of surprising to us because over 30% of your congregation was, were, were black. And so I don't know how, how you could be a black church and have people saying things like this. Or you could have this many black people in your church and have people saying things like this. I said, well, everybody understands this guy. I mean, yeah, this guy, he, he thinks he's something important because he was one of the founders of the church. He was a deacon in the church for several years. And he, he really thinks he's something, but we've all written him off as just a really lost, warped soul. And so everybody pretty much ignores him. But I didn't know he was doing this. And so I'd had problems with this guy over and over again during my ministry. I mean, I had a lot of trouble with him. I mean, not only was he a racist and a troublemaker, I mean, he was a high-level mason, uh, which really bothered me. And uh, he was just an all-around evil guy. And I, you know, back then I wasn't nearly as mild-mannered as I am now. <laughs> and so when I saw him, I confronted him about what he had said to this young black couple. And I said, let me tell you something. If you ever say that to anybody in this church again, I will have you barred from coming into these from walking into those doors. He said, I, you can't do that. He says, I'm as much of a Bible-believing Christian as you are. He said, do you know who I am? I was a founder of this church. I was a deacon in this church for 20 years. And I responded by telling him, you might have been a deacon in this church for 20 years, but you're not a Bible-believing Christian because if you were a Bible-believing Christian, you would know what John says in 1 John, that how can you... Say you love God whom you haven't seen and hate those who you have seen. You do see, especially simply because of their color. Amen. I mean, how can you do that? And I, I went on to tell him, you, you, you don't have the Spirit of God in you or you couldn't treat somebody like that. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that guy sound like royalty to you? Does he sound like a, a child of the king to you? James in our text, and let's go back to James now. If you go back to James with me, and you'll see where I'm heading with this. James in our text, last week in verse number one, I'm going to read from the NASB because it, it, I think it, it, it words it a little clearer here, but he says in verse number one, you can follow me in, the, in, the, in whatever translation you have, but in verse number one of chapter two, he said, My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord with an attitude of personal favoritism. In other words, if, if you're truly saved, who do you represent? You represent the Lord of glory. And you, if you're truly saved, then you should be, to some degree, reflecting that glory. And the, the way you know that is that you don't have an attitude of personal favoritism. You, don't, you treat everybody the same, regardless of their race, regardless of their political party, regardless of their financial position, whether they're uh, an employer, an employee, or whether they're slave, or whether they're free. 
how old they are. You don't discriminate against anyone. You treat people without partiality. And if we don't, then we very well might not be saved because the royal spirit is not in us. I mean, just look at what he says in verses 8 and 9 here. Look and, look, read with me in verses 8 and 9. He said, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Leviticus there and from elsewhere in the Scripture. He says, you do well. But if you show partiality and commit sin, that's sin if you show partiality and are convicted by the, if, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Let me sort out what he's saying right here for you. What he's saying, if you show partiality towards others, if you don't treat others fairly, if you don't keep the royal law, then you're nothing more than a transgressor. And you're condemned by the law. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15. He said, this is my commandment. Not commandments. He didn't give us a bunch of commandments, did he? He gave us one commandment. This is my commandment, only one commandment, that you love one another. Now listen to the standard that he, where he raises the bar. As I have loved you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. I mean, you're always saying we're not under law. I say that all the time. You're not under law. And, you're, and you're, I still say you're not under law. But if you're truly born again, by your very nature, you will keep the royal law. And let me tell you why. Because if you're truly born again, the Spirit of God lives in you, and the Spirit of God is love. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so if you're not loving, you don't have the Spirit of God in you. And that's not just any love. That's agape love. That's divine love. That's love that looks, puts the needs of others above your own needs. And if we don't do that, then, then hey, we very well might not have the Spirit of God in us. Jesus told his disciples in John, he says in another way in John chapter 13, Listen to what he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. And, and then listen to what he says in verse 35. He says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, if you're keeping the royal law, that's how you know you're truly a child of God, if you're keeping the law of the royal law of God. We talked about testing our pedigree last week, and, and, and I believe the most comprehensive, the most important test of all is do we keep the royal law? Do we keep the royal law? Do we love one another? Do we love our neighbors as ourselves? That's what sets us apart from common sinners. That's what sets us apart from the rest of the world. Do we love our neighbor as we love ourselves? That's what shows us that we're truly disciples of Jesus Christ, that the royal spirit is in us. Now, if you don't have the spirit of God in you, 
What does Paul say about that? He says over in Romans, he says, Romans chapter 8, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ in him is none of his. You're not his. If you have the spirit and God is love and it's the spirit of God, then you, you have to be loving by your very nature. Now, if you're not keeping the royal law and you don't love others as you love yourself, and you're none of his, then that's what he's saying right here in this text. What does that make you? It puts you back under law. It makes you a transgressor under law. And the only way you're going to make it to heaven without that divine love in you is if you keep the law, every aspect of the law, absolutely without failure. That's the only way you can be saved. And who can be saved if that's the standard? Nobody can be saved. So you're condemned by the law. You're condemned to hell. Well, you know, Pastor, you don't know me. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a real strong racist. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I, I, I might be a little bit racist. Uh, I might not keep the royal law all the time, but. But I'm a pretty good person. You know, we hear that all the time. I'm a pretty good person. You know, I keep most of the law. Is that so? Well, look at what James says about keeping most of the law and beginning in verse number 10. Listen to what he says. He says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and stumble in one point, he's guilty of all, of failing at every aspect of the law. He's guilty. He's condemned is what he's saying right there. You know, the Bible says, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin, singular, not plural, sins, but the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel in 18.20, the Lord says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. And so if you sin one time, one sin, then you're toast. That's it. And you know what Romans has to say about it, or Paul has to say about it, or really God has to say about it in Romans chapter 3, verse 23? He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we are all toast. And there's only one way that we're not toast. There's only one way that we can be saved from condemnation. And what is that? We're to believe on Jesus Christ and believe on that cross. And, and, and believe is kind of a, it's kind of a, uh, it's, not a, it's not the best word to use. There. We're to trust in the work of that cross. Amen. I mean, we're to fully, fully place our faith in that cross. And when we faith our place our faith in that cross and we place our faith on the, in the blood of Jesus Christ, then we're truly saved and we're truly born again. And what happens when we're born again? We receive what or who? We receive the spirit of Christ. So we receive the spirit of Christ. That means we receive the spirit of love and we have divine love in us. And then we will at the very least be beginning to fulfill the royal law. We will love one another as Christ has loved us. We will begin to love one another as we love ourselves. Look at what he says in verse number 11. He says, but he who, but he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. You know, he didn't just say that. 
You know what else he said? If you look at a, another person with lust, you've committed adultery. He also said if you're angry with your brother without cause, you've committed murder. So if you get, have, if you, if you go into, you get angry at people without cause or you look at people with lust uh, that aren't your spouse, that, then, hey, you've committed adultery or you've committed murder. And, and all of us covet, we're not supposed to covet. And how many times do we blaspheme the Lord? I mean, do we love the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our son? None of us, so none of us do that. And so we all fail. And, and what he, he makes the point then, now if you do not commit adultery, but you, you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law, a transgressor of the law. Either way, you're a transgressor of the law. You commit one sin, you're a transgressor of the law. None of us want to be judged based upon the law. None of us. So, so what do we do? Listen to what he says in verse number 12. He says, so speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. See, the, we want to be judged by the law of liberty. What's the law of liberty? What's that mean? It's, it's, the, it, it's the law that sets us free. What's it set us free from? From the law of sin and death. We're free from condemnation. Because as it says in Romans 10, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not under law. You're not under condemnation. You can't be condemned because there's no law there to condemn you. And that's why Paul could say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, all things are lawful for me. What's all things mean in the Greek? All things. All things are lawful for me. That means that under grace, under the law of liberty, we're free to do whatever we want to do. In the spirit. Here's the catch. If you're truly born again, your spirit has been changed. Your soul has been changed. You're a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so you're free to do whatever you want to do because what you want to do has been changed. And what you want to do is to please Jesus Christ. And how do you please Jesus Christ? By loving one another. That's what you want to do. I mean, when you're, when you're out helping other people and, and praying for other people and visiting widows and orphans, as James spoke of last week, when you're doing those things, you're not doing it because you're under law. You're doing it because that's what you want to do. That's what your new nature wants to do. And if you don't want to do those things, then there's probably a problem with your soul. Paul put, later on would say, he, he would say in 1 Corinthians 919, he says, for though I am free from all law, I have made, in other words, I've been set free. I was a slave to the law of sin and death. Then I got saved and I was set free. But what was he set free to do? Listen to what he says in the last part of that verse. I have made myself a slave to all that I might save when the more. In other words, I've become, I, I, was a, I was a slave and I got set free only to become a slave again. A, whose slave? Jesus Christ's slave. So that I could become a slave to all people. That I could, so that I could serve, so that we could serve one another. Now man, you have to be blind not to see the change that took place in Paul after he was saved. 
I mean, here was this guy who, who was under law, and, he, and actually I think he thought he was pretty good at it. Remember what he said in the book of Philippians? As to the law, he said, I was blameless. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was blameless. But once he was born again, you know what Paul realized? He realized that before he was saved, all of that was just outside works. He was, not, he was an unloving, nothing more than an unloving whitewashed tomb. That's who he was, and he understood that once he got saved. But then something happened. Remember what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road? He saw the Lord. He saw the Lord and he received the Spirit of God. And you know what? You've never seen a turnaround like that. Here was this guy who was, was killing Christians. He, was, he, he held the coats of the people who stoned the great martyr Stephen. Uh, uh, he was the one in charge of that stoning. And here was this guy who was killing Christians. And then once he was born again... He risked his life to save the very people he was trying to destroy because he had the Spirit of God in him and he had this great love for all people. See, that's how it works for me and you. That's how it should work for me and you. We don't begin to fulfill the royal law until we're changed, until we receive the Spirit of God and we're filled with His Spirit. And when we're filled with His Spirit, then we're filled with His love. We're filled with agape love. But... Here's the scary thing. It's what he's saying right here. If you have not been changed, take the test. If you have not been changed, then you're still under law and you're still facing judgment. Then look at the last verse that we'll look at here today. Verse number 13. Listen to what he says there. He says, for judgment is without mercy. To the one who has shown no mercy. Man, that's scary. If you treated somebody in your life without mercy, then you won't be shown any mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you want to escape the coming judgment, if you don't want to stand before Christ at the white throne judgment seat, where your every sin that you've ever committed is is your judge for, and guess what? You've committed a lot of them, and you've committed plenty. Only one. It only takes one to get you sent to hell. You, you, you figure you're in deep trouble. So, if you don't want to stand there, then you have to be a merciful person. You have to be a merciful, merciful person. And not according to man's standards, but according to God's standards. You have to be as merciful to others as God has been to you. Man, that is a really high standard. You know, that's why in the Lord's Prayer, it used to bother me in the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You don't forgive those who trespass against you? Then the Father's not going to forgive you. Well, wait a minute, that sounds like law. No, it's not law. Because if you've been changed, you are going to forgive those who trespass against you. Man, that is, I'm going to tell you, that's to forgive others, everything, Man, that is really setting the bar really high. 
Peter thought he had it figured out. You remember that? Remember Peter? The one who always spoke when he shouldn't have spoken? Not knowing what he was saying, the Bible said a couple of times. Remember back in chapter uh, 18 of Matthew, if you want to flip there with me for a minute, go back to the Gospels, first book of the New Testament. Peter was having a really good day, feeling really spiritual like we do sometimes. Maybe a little more spiritual than everybody else. You ever feel like that? Man, I'm really spiritual. I wish everybody else was as spiritual as I was. Peter felt like that that day. And so he came to the Lord and he said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Shall I forgive my brother? How often? Let me try it again. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How often? How about seven times, Lord? I've been working on that. I'm trying to do it seven times. On the eighth time, I'm going to kill him. But seven times, I'm going to forgive him. Oh, Jesus shot him down real quick. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And Jesus wasn't talking about 490 times. He was saying that every time your brother sins against you, you're to forgive him because every time you sin against me, I forgive you an infinite amount of times. That's how often we're to forgive one another. And Jesus said to him, and going on, he said, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king the kingdom, when he says the kingdom of heaven is like that, he said, you want to be part of the kingdom of heaven? This is the way you got to live. This is the way you got to live. If you don't live like this, you're not going to be part of the kingdom of heaven. If you don't want to live like this, you certainly don't want to even be part of the kingdom of heaven. You want to be part of the kingdom of the devil. And so he says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him a thousand, 10,000 talents. Now let me explain to you how big of a number that is. There are 6,000 denarii in one talent. A denarii is a day's wages. So you take your day's wages, whatever you make, and multiply that times 6,000, and then multiply that times 10,000, and that's what this guy owed. 60 million denarii. Why did Jesus use that number? This is a parable. Why did he use that number? Because it was a number too big for him to ever pay back. Just like my sin debt and your sin debt is too big for us to ever pay back. We can't atone for our own sin. I mean, since you've been born, every time you've had an evil thought, every time you've blasphemed God, I hear people all the time in this country saying, oh, my God, oh, my God. You realize when you're doing that, you're blaspheming God? The tally's just growing. I mean, and I, I'm not picking on that sin, but just think of all the sins we've committed. I, I, I think my number tops 60 million. And I bet yours does, too. We think, well, I haven't robbed any banks or I haven't, you know, I've never been to jail. I've been to jail. But, you, you, know, I, you know, I've never, you say, I've never been to jail. I've never robbed any banks. 
I'm still married. I hate my wife, and I'm still married to her. You know, we are full of sin. You couldn't count the number of sins you're going to commit today if you're honest with yourself in your thought life. And Jesus carried that plane up to our thought life. So here was this guy who committed 60 million, had owed this guy 60 million days of wages. Was he going to pay that back? Listen to verse number 25. But as, but as he was not able to pay his master, the master commanded that he be sold and with his wife and with his children and all that he had and that the payment be made. Friends, that's the law. Christ demands absolute perfection. He commands that the debt be paid. And if you don't want him to pay it, you've got to pay it, and you're not able to pay it. And then it says, the servant did the right thing. He says, therefore, he fell down before the, him saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Now, how was he going to pay that back? You know, people commit these horrible sins. And they go to God and they act like somehow they can atone for that, those sins. You can't atone for those sins. You can't atone for those sins by saying you're sorry. You can't atone for those sins by repenting and becoming a, a priest or a nun or a pastor. You can't atone for your sins. There are too many. And this guy thought he could, and that's what got him in all sorts of trouble. He needed a heart change, and you're going to see that in the story. Listen to what it says. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. You know, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. The debt's been paid. But the servant went out, and he got his freedom, just like we have our freedom. And he went out, and he, he found a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. And he put his, laid his hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me, every bit of it. And so the fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And actually, that was a debt he could have paid, 100 denarii, 100 days wages, give him a couple of years, he could have paid you back. And he would not. The wicked servant wouldn't do that, but he went out and threw the man into prison that he should pay, until he paid the whole debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Just like we begged Jesus to forgive us. But something's got to happen. Something's got to happen. Something, we've got to be changed. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servants? Shouldn't your heart have changed? Just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. Until he should pay all that was due him. Which he was never going to pay. You can never pay it back. And if you're hard-hearted towards other people, you're going to be turned over to the torturers forever in hell. That's in the Bible. That's the picture he's painting right here. It's because look at verse 20, 35. He says, so my heavenly Father will also do to each of you, each of you, if you don't forgive your neighbor. But watch what he says. If each of you from his heart, 
Catch that? From his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. You know, we have a lot of forgiveness that's not from the heart. Oh, I forgive that person. I'm not going to kill them. I forgive them. But deep down inside, you hate them. That's not from the heart. So my heavenly Father will also do to each of you if, if from his heart he does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Let me ask you this. What we're learning here, does that mean that, that being merciful and forgiving and kind to others, kind to the poor, kind to widows and orphans and all the things that we've looked at, controlling our tongue, does that mean that those things save us? No. And don't confuse that. I, I remember reading an article about Mother Teresa right before she died, and she's kind of the quintessential person of benevolence. Everybody points to her as the, the greatest servant of all, the most loving heart of all. But I remember reading a statement that she made right before she died that she had come to the conclusion that the loving God of the Bible is a lie. She believed in Mary. She believed that Mary was really her God, but that the loving God of the Bible was a lie. All she did for the poor, if anyone's ever done anything for the poor, and I'm talking about the most hopeless of people to, for lepers, the most outcast of people. She, she served those people with her whole life, but in the end she came to the conclusion that, that the loving of God of the Bible is, doesn't exist. Now, I don't know if she's saved or not, and I'm not trying to judge her, but if that's what she thought of God, truly, maybe she was mad at him that day when she wrote that, but if that's what she thought of God deep down in her heart, she was not saved. Because as Paul says in Romans chapter 13, though I bestow all my goods, give my life to the poor, and yet I have not agape love, divine love. It profits me nothing. Nothing. That's why Jesus says here, from the heart, unless you forgive from the heart. Now what all of this is saying is that it's not saying these things save us, but if we're saved from the heart, we're not going to treat others bad. We're not going to show partiality to others. From the heart, we're going to love one another as Christ has loved us. But you talk about some high standards, friends. These are some high standards. Let me give them to you. Forgive others if you've been forgiven. Love others as Christ loves you. Let me give you the highest standard of all. If you really want to know what it is, love others as you love yourself. You know why that's the highest standard? Because we really love ourselves. We love ourselves an awful lot. We, I think most of us love ourselves more than we love God. And we might say we love God, but we, we love God because we love ourselves in a lot of cases. And we're to love others as we love ourselves. But really the highest standard of all is we love others as God has loved us. Because man, he loves us beyond anything we can possibly imagine. So if you love others as you love yourself, you won't show partiality. 
You won't look down on other people because of their race. I don't care if you're black looking down on whites or whites looking down on blacks or whatever it is. You can't be a racist. Now, we certainly have the flesh, and we have racial tendencies, like racist tendencies. But in our spirit, in our new nature, there can be no racism. We can't be Nicolaitans. We can't be clergy who think we're above the laity. We can't be super saints who look down on sinners that aren't like us. We can't be rich people who look down on poor people. We can't be powerful people who look down on weak people. If you treat others unkindly, if you're not forgiving, and you show partiality, you are not under grace. The law of liberty, the royal law, you are under law. And that means you are condemned. And that means that one day you're going to go to the white throne judgment seat and meet your maker there. And you're going to be turned over to the torturers. Where are they at? They're down in hell. Man, those are some tall, tall orders. You know what those orders require? They require perfection. Absolute perfection. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount just kind of summed it up like this. He says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Ah, I can do that. But no, you can't do that. Was he kidding about that? I mean, oh my Jesus, we can be perfect as a father. Yeah, come on, quit joking with me. I mean, I'll forgive my brother seven times, uh, but seven times 70? Was he kidding? No, he wasn't kidding. Jesus never once lowered the bar of righteousness, not once. You know what he did? He raised the bar up. He raised the bar up. How high did he raise it up? All the way to heaven. You're required to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's impossible for us. And he intended for it to be impossible to, for us. Why? To drive us to grace. To drive us to him. To drive us to the cross. And realize that only by a new nature. Can I do these things? And you know what? Your new nature is perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And if you're not living it out, that's because you're not feeding the new nature. That's because you're not setting your mind on things above. Your mind is on things below. Man, I tell you, passages like this should cause us all to tremble. I mean, it should cause us all to be sure that Christ is in us. It should cause us all to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Especially if you're a racist. You better watch that. Don't tell me any racist jokes. I don't want to hear them. I don't even want to be around you. You might get struck down. I don't want to be with you when it happens. Especially if you're a child of God or pretending to be a child of God. I had a ethics professor when I was at seminary came to class one day and we were all about to finish up and 
some of us were graduating. He said, I know some of you are graduating and probably you're going to get called to some backwoods. Your first church is going to be some backwoods church in Louisiana or backwoods church in Mississippi. He said, a lot of those people are racist. You're going to find out. He said, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't go up there and try to change them. Don't go up there and try to change them because you're not going to change them and you're going to split up the church and you're going to lose your job and you don't want to do that. He said, don't go up there and try to change them. Wait until God, they get to heaven and God will change them. And I raised my hand. I said, whoa, wait a minute. I said, they're not going to get to heaven if they're racist. And so they're never going to get changed. They got to get changed down here or they're not going to get changed up there. And it's our job to warn people that there's dangers in being a racist. And if it costs you your job, then it costs you your job because that's dangerous stuff. You know, every single one of us in this room, if we're truly born-again believers, should at the very least be beginning to fulfill the royal law of Jesus Christ. We should at the very least be beginning to love one another. Test yourself on this and get rid of all that nastiness because God doesn't like it. You better, we better all, you know, you want to be blessed by the Lord as a born-again believer, you better treat others with impartiality. Better get all of those nasty things out of your system. Choose to let your new spirit rule your life. And that's a spirit of love. If you do that, you'll fulfill the royal law. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, this is a tough text, and we all fail in this area so much so often. Lord, but we want to be sure today that we do have your spirit in us and we're truly born again. Lord, that at the very least we're beginning to feel this royal law that you've given us to love one another. Lord, help us with that. We want to be perfect as our Father is in heaven. Lord, and perfection is equal to love. So Lord, fill us with your love and Show us where we fail. Lord, if there's someone in here with an unloving heart, Lord, show them today that you can change that heart. They've got a racist heart, Lord, you can change that heart. They're probably not saved if that's their heart, Lord. You know that, too. But you can change that just by the miracle of receiving your son, Jesus Christ, into their heart. Show them that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.